Hi, beautiful, and welcome to Self Carve, a podcast all about self love and success. I'm your host, Ivana Ritchie, and I'm here because I want you to have it all. I don't want you to settle for less. I want you to carve yourself and create the life of your dreams. And because of this, not only will I be sharing my knowledge with you, but I'll be inviting some amazing women who are all highly successful and they will be sharing their stories with you as well. A woman who's self-carved knows that there is nothing she can do to change her past, but that she has all the power and all the magic to create the best version of herself and attract anything that she desires from a man to money to whatever, right? So I'm so happy that you're here. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Self Carved. Today, I have an amazing woman with me. Uh, We met at a women's event and have been in contact since. I've been so fascinated by everything that she stands for, that she teaches, and that she is integrating into her practice. I'm here today with Dr. Chelsea Breckham. She is a chiropractor. She actually owns her own practice where she's not just focused on that, but she has a holistic view of what it truly means to to be in touch with your body, to take care of your body, and to practice wellness in all aspects of life. So when she got pregnant in 2017, um, (laughs) she developed a new vision for what her practice was gonna be like. And today she's helping so many people with their wellness in many different ways, ways that we're gonna talk about today. And uh, I'm so excited. This is, this is a special direction that we're taking in this podcast. But as you know, it's all about self-love and success, which means that we do have to focus on all parts of us. And to be successful, that also means that we take care of our outer being, inner being, and everything that has to do with who we are as a person. So Dr. Reckham, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited to be doing this. This is actually my first podcast. Yay. So excited. Yeah. So you are, I mean, you are young, you're successful, you're a doctor with your own practice, and there's so much to it, right? So many times when someone hears about a chiropractor, they're like, okay, I'm just going to go on get a little cracking right <laughs> so, mm-hmm. talk, to right. <laughs> talk to us about why you decided to become a chiropractor and how your business how your practice has expanded ever since you started yeah. your practice. Whew, it has been a wild ride let me tell you um when i first decided that i wanted to be a chiropractor um i'm actually a third generation chiropractor so my grandmother was a chiropractor and my dad is also a chiropractor um so i come by it honestly i have been you know involved in kind of that holistic natural health world since birth i think i received my first adjustment um right after i was born um, because i actually wasn't breathing right after I was born. So my dad went in there and kind of gave me a little adjustment and then I was, uh, then I was good. So, um, 
Yeah, so I've always been involved in that world. Um, so it kind of just felt like a natural progression, a natural course for me to go to chiropractic school. Um, although I originally thought I wanted to be a medical doctor until I was a senior in undergrad. And I was like, wait, I don't, that doesn't really align with my personal philosophy. So I switched to chiropractic school and ended up going that route. Um, but when I was in school, there's the wonderful thing about chiropractic is there are so many different types of, um, so many different avenues you can go down and so many different types of specialties, whether it's sports or pediatrics or nutrition or uh, neurology. There's so many different ways that chiropractic can be applied to the natural health world. So I also didn't really know that. So when I was in school, I was kind of overwhelmed with all of the options and um, didn't really settle on anything until I was almost graduated. And um, I did a, an internship my last eight months of school with a sports chiropractic place. So um, when I graduated, I ended up getting hired on with them and I worked with them for about a year. So initially I was really, really into, um, you know, the sports route and working with athletes. And um, I learned a lot about functional movement and um, I did soft tissue work and, um, that's something that I still, I definitely still do that in my practice. Um, but when I went out on my own and started my own practice, like my focus kind of started shifting a little bit. And then three months after I opened my practice, I found that I was pregnant. So that changed the whole course of my life and my career. And, um, I started getting into functional medicine and learning about, um, you know, how to assess the body as a whole and how all of the parts kind of integrate with each other. And as my, um, you know, as my pregnancy went on and after I had my daughter, I was really just amazed by the female body specifically. And our bodies are so dynamic and we're always changing. And um, I also think that women are really underserved in healthcare and compared to men, we know relatively little about the female body and which is crazy because our bodies change so much and men, you know, hormonally are kind of uh, not constant, but more constant than we are. Um, so yeah, I just started learning about that. And the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to learn about it. And I knew that I wanted to specialize in women and kind of took my practice in that, in that road. And now here I am. <laughs> Now here you are, and we benefit from it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So during your pregnancy, was it something or some things that in particular that happened that was like, whoa, like I didn't even think about this before I was pregnant? Oh my gosh. So many things. So many things. And not only, I mean, we all know that your body changes physically a lot during pregnancy, but your brain also also changes the actual shape and size of certain centers in your brain actually change so that you are more neurologically wired to be able to respond to your baby's cues and your emotional centers increase and you start to become you start to develop that that maternal instinct and it was really i didn't actually really even know that at the time because i 
nobody, I mean, nobody ever talks about that. Um, and I've never heard that before until I started really researching it. But um, yeah, I think that that the fact that I became all of the physical changes, of course, but the fact that I became a different, truly a different person through my pregnancy and, and after I, after my daughter was born was kind of the biggest thing that struck me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as a obsessive researcher, <laughs> I love to research things. Uh, I yeah. always want to out for and to help out my clients where are things stemming from how does the brain function and all those things and like you said I do find it very uncommon that women understand how important it is what they're thinking what they're feeling what they're doing while they are pregnant because we always talk about okay your child is programmed from the age zero to seven or zero to eight and these are the years they're going to shape or a child, but we don't talk about the how about what's happening uh, with with the baby while it's still in the mother's womb. So, can you expand on that? Oh, I love that you brought this up. I <laughs> love this. So, when I was pregnant, um, to be honest, becoming becoming a parent was a huge trigger for me, um, and she was a surprise. She wasn't, uh, she wasn't necessarily planned a wonderful surprise, but, um, I thought that, you know, I would have more time to think about becoming a parent down the road, but it snuck up on me. So, um, it was a trigger for me because my, my mom, after I was born had really debilitating postpartum depression and she ended up, um, leaving our family when I was six months old. And this kind of started a cycle of um, just neglect and emotional abuse, not only, not only from her, but from, um, you know, other, other people in my life as well. So becoming a parent, I was really afraid that I was going to follow in those footsteps. So my, my research into for personal reasons, my, my research into figuring out how I could kind of overcome that or prevent myself from becoming that was really important to me. And it started when I was pregnant. So I actually listened to, um, I, I can't remember if it was an audiobook or a podcast that was talking about the, how important it is to start that. Um, and it really starts with ourselves, start that self-love and, and positive, positive thinking so that we can release, re release good neurotransmitters and release positive hormones into our bodies. And that will ultimately, you know, cross the placenta and affect our baby as well. Cause when we're stressed out, when we're, when we have really negative self-talk, it actually release, it creates a physiological response. So we, you know, we develop the stress hormones, which affects the fetus. So it is super, super important to, um, you know, do what, do what you do and create self love, but especially in pregnancy and becoming a, a mother, that's how we affect the future generation. And that's how we, that's how we have babies that are set up to love themselves so that we don't have to overcome. They don't have to overcome so much. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's huge. So yeah. what are, um, why do you think, and let's just 
because I want to put it into the listener's mind. Why do you think that, first of all, women are not really knowledgeable in this area, but don't, do you also agree that a lot of women kind of rush into becoming mothers and oh, then yeah. they overattach to their children and now it's like a never ending cycle of either overattaching or not being able to have the healthy, healthy attachment between mother and child. So let's talk a little bit about that. Do you see that women are having babies from a healthy standpoint or is it for some other reason many times too? Oh, absolutely. And this, this is kind of a, a two pronged issue here. A lot of, a lot of women, unfortunately, do go into it for maybe, you know, not the right reasons, whether they're trying to, um, you know, fix a, fix a relationship or fix a marriage, or they just want somebody who is biologically wired to, to love them, or they just, they just want to be able to take care of somebody else when they're not really take caring, taking care of themselves first. Um, so that definitely will, you know, if left unchecked, can cause some emotional attachment issues with, um, with our children. So that's a really important thing to kind of, you know, first try to prevent, but also um, just being self-aware and working through that um, can help, help prevent that. But another thing is women are definitely not taught that we need to be preparing our bodies physically for pregnancy and childbirth. And if she chooses to breastfeed, to breastfeed, because it requires so much of our bodies. It requires so, so many nutrients. It requires so much metabolic power. It requires, I mean, we lose sleep. It requires so much of us. And a lot of women go into it, you know, if it happens in a, you know, if it's kind of a not planned like it was with me, sometimes you don't really have the choice, but that's why it's important to, you know, just kind of always make sure that you're staying well and maintain that. But, but if you're planning on having a pregnancy, it's so important to make sure that you have a really good functioning thyroid, that your stress levels are checked, that you're sleeping well prior to it, that you, um, you know, have all the, the required nutrients, because if that doesn't happen, when you get pregnant, the fetus, the baby is going to take what it needs. And often that happens at the expense of the mother. So by the time she has the baby in the postpartum period, let's say she is breastfeeding, the baby continues to take nutrients from the mother and the mother is so depleted in nutrients. She Mm -hmm. has no thyroid function. A lot of times she will develop autoimmunity and um, you know, she's not sleeping. And these are all of the things that can lead to um, certain mood disorders, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and women never really, they never, they don't prepare their bodies for pregnancy. And then they're not guided on how to heal their bodies post-pregnancy, postpartum, not just, you know, from the physical act of childbirth, but on a physiological level, kind of restoring some of those nutrient stores. So she's depleted and then maybe we add another pregnancy or two into the mix and we just have all of these very very depleted women that are coming to me with ish with with 
with now health symptoms and they're like, I just, I don't feel like myself. I'm overwhelmed. I'm angry. I'm irritated. I, you know, all of these things that, that women deal with that are actually at its source, a nutrient depletion from pregnancy. Oof. So a lot. Much. Yeah. So much, so much that I want to ask you questions about now. Oof. That's exciting. Go for it. Love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So first, before I get into my second question, yeah. what, what, how does a woman prepare for pregnancy? And then I'll get into um, the upcoming questions. I know you said get the proper rest, make sure to check, you know, the stress levels and all that, but can, can you make it a little more uh, vivid or tangible so that, you know, uh, the woman listening who is ready to have a child or wants to prepare <laughs> or the woman who wants to teach her child, right? So whoever is listening, this doesn't have to apply to you, but you can always educate someone else. Absolutely. So the best way that I help women who come to me in my practice is first of all, just just educating them on the importance of preparing their bodies so that they kind of know what the goal is and that helps them stay motivated. And then what we do from there is typically just get a really thorough history, uh, health history, list of symptoms that they're currently experiencing, if they're currently dealing with any um, you know, health issues or anything like that. And then I really liked I like to do really comprehensive blood work, which is going to show thyroid function. It's going to show us your, your current hormonal levels. It's going to show us um, cholesterol and inflammation and um, whether how your immune system is doing and all of those things that are super, super important to create life. So we check those and then we can kind of create a maybe a nutritional plan and it's going to include some really specific supplementation that is um, you know, just kind of gives your body the, the building blocks and the tools to, to help you make the things that you need so that you can be your strongest self going into pregnancy. I love that. So needed. So needed. That's perfect. So how about the, um, the women that are single mothers or that are overworking? So Obviously, for those who don't know, and I don't know uh, how much I've shared into detail with you, Dr. Reckham, but where I grew up in Sweden, mothers and fathers actually get to uh, maternity and uh, paternity leave is up to 12 months, right? So that is part of the culture that is considered that if we are taking care of the caregivers, the parents, that we're going to have a better future generation and everybody's going to benefit. But being here in the U.S. past eight years, I've seen a total different reality where I've also heard it's common to, to get maternity leave for like three months. So how does a woman, how is, uh, how is a woman supposed to be able to balance herself to take care of herself and to really do these things that we're talking about if she's overloaded with work, is not able to take off and all those things. And what kind of difference does that make once the baby is born? A huge difference. I, it is so heartbreaking to me that there isn't a standard maternity leave and paternity leave in the U S and 
if you get if you get 12 weeks if you get three months you're lucky a lot of places only do six weeks and a lot of places don't do maternity leave at all so it's really difficult to overcome some of these things and you know restore some of your nutrients and allow allow your body to heal postpartum when you're forced to go back to work especially as a single mother so that definitely is we're, we're climbing an uphill battle right now um and it's really tough but you know when i have moms in my practice who are in that situation what i try to do is just give them kind of small small little tangible things that they can incorporate into their day. So a lot of moms will feel one of their biggest stressor is, you know, obviously working and and making an income and, um, you know, trying to provide for, for their child, but also the fact that they feel guilt for um, their child being in daycare or in the care of someone else. So I always try to tell these moms that it's not about, the quantity of time that you spend with your child. It's about the quality of time. It's about when you pick them up from daycare, making sure that you are, you know, engaged with your child and try to try to just just let go of the the other stressors that happen in your day and just be there with your child, be present. And that's the best thing that you can do for them. And that's the best thing that you can do for for your mental health as well. But I mean it is hard. It is really hard to overcome that when mothers are lacking in support, and that's that's one of the biggest things that I'm I'm trying to um, to educate about and trying to overcome in my in my practice is I want to create a community of moms so that even if even if you're working all day and you're super stressed out, you at least have a support system, a group of other women who have been through it, who understand what you're going through and who are there to lift you up and not, you know, continue to make you feel guilty or tear you down or whatever it is that um, some well-intentioned people tend to tend to do that just kind of makes us feel worse. (laughs) But finding that community is super, super important. Yes, absolutely. For sure. I do. I love that. I love that. Um, what are some, what are some tips, what are some tips that, um, future mothers or upcoming mothers, soon to be mothers can, can use what are, or some tools or techniques that you implemented, that you integrated into your life when you became pregnant or that you, maybe you didn't. And now is, now it's something that you teach your clients. What is something that they can start practicing or implementing into their lives? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, After I had my daughter, I was very, very anxious. I had a lot of um, postpartum anxiety and I never wanted to leave the house and I never wanted to, I was, I would sometimes just stay awake all night, not even because my baby was awake, but because I was, I was awake thinking of all of the you know, scary scenarios that can happen because things just become so much more real when you have, when you have children, you start thinking about things that you've never thought about before. And all of the, you know, all of the scary parts of the world can become clear. So I wasn't, I wasn't good at filtering some of that out. Um, But what I ended up doing and what I tell people to do now is to 
start a journal and write all of those write all of those fears down and kind of take a break and come back to it and think of yourself as you know think of who think of that journal as another person saying those things to you like a loved one a sister a friend a you know someone that you really care about saying those those fears and insecurities to you and how how you would approach that situation and how how you would approach them with love and and reassurance and just trying to um you know calm calm their fears you know what i mean um so being there and that's you know that kind of ties into what you do with the self-love and all of those things the best thing that you can do for yourself in the postpartum period is to love yourself and give yourself a ton of slack because you're going to mess up. And if you don't, if you let that control your life, that mom guilt is just going to tear you up. So I kind of just try to, and it, it really is individualized kind of depending on who's sitting in front of me, but I try to develop techniques to help the mom overcome some of that guilt or release some of that guilt or, um, you know, something along, something along those lines. Yes. Love that. I love that. And this is what you're talking about, really attacking these fears, journaling and, and talking about it. Is this also part of uh, the balanced aspect? So how do we, how do moms <laughs> pour into their kids, but at the same time, find a, find a time for themselves? How, how do we balance this? Because there's so many women that I've coached too, and they come to me when they, when their kids are all, all grown up and now they say they don't know who they are anymore right they poured in so much into their children so they lost sight of who they are so how do we how do we go about that how do we maintain a, um, a healthy ba balance between us our partner work <laughs> and the kids <laughs> yeah uh for women specifically it's important for us to say no to some things and set boundaries and a lot, you know, we always talk about uh, how important self-care is, but sometimes self-care is removing things from your plate, not feeling like you have to do everything and asking your partner to um, help you out around the house and kind of communicating and setting those boundaries for yourself so that you don't feel like you're taking everything on and that will free up space for you to, to find things that you like to do or or, you know, in my practice specifically, it's, it's finding the time to kind of meal prep and, and make sure that you're nourishing your body with the right, with the right foods and finding time to exercise. But the only way to do that is by asking for help and asking for support and communicating your needs and your boundaries to other people. Yes, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I have a few few more things brewing in my head but you mentioned uh, you mentioned taking care of your body exercising and eating well um is it are you seeing that being a huge problem in the world or at least in the U.S. when it comes to uh the nutrition um that uh the people's meal plans uh when people are coming to you asking for help what is it are you seeing that people are not they're not taking in the right nutrients. How is, um, what is your experience with that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that the standard American diet is really high in calories. There's, we're not lacking in calories, but we are lacking in nutrients and real, real nutrition. So a lot of, a lot of women and a lot of women especially are confused about what to eat and how much to eat. And because there's so much conflicting information in the nutrition world and the diet culture tells us to, you know, just reduce the amount that we're eating. So a lot of women will come to me and they actually have low blood sugar, but they're also insulin resistant. So they kind of have a, um, a pre-diabetic pattern of, um, blood sugar utilization in the body, but they actually don't have enough of it. So that can happen when um, women aren't eating frequently enough. And then when they do eat, because you're starving at that point, you typically go for more of a high carbohydrate meal, which is gonna spike, spike your blood sugar. And then it's gonna spike your insulin as insulin tries to bring down that blood sugar and bring the blood sugar into the cells so that we can use it to make energy. But what happens is when we have those, those blood sugar spikes and the insulin surges, the cells can still become resistant, even though we're not eating enough or eating enough calories throughout the day. So yeah, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge, huge thing. 90% of what I do in my practice is going to be nutritionally based and eating for your body. And that's why we do really specific blood work to see if you have any insulin resistance or blood sugar issues or anemias because you really can't you really can't make any sort of headway anywhere if you have blood sugar dysregulation or if you're anemic because blood sugar is going to having a, a healthy blood sugar level is is important for making neurotransmitters serotonin and dopamine and and uh, uh, GABA, which helps you, which is a calming neurotransmitter, and all of these things require really stable blood sugar levels, so you need that. And being anemic, so not having enough oxygen in your blood or iron in your blood, is is going to prevent us from, you know, creating the energy that we need as well and circulating oxygen through our body. So those are um, kind of the two things that are primary, and then from there it's working on inflammation seeing if there's um uh, an immune system imbalance and all of those things are tightly tightly related to the foods that we eat because we have um you know genetically modified foods that just don't agree with our bodies and cause leaky gut and can lead to chronic disease so that is that's the most important thing that we that we focus on and that's the source of um pretty pretty much everything, pretty much the, the super common chronic diseases. So yeah, very important there. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And does that affect, does that affect, cause I do want to touch on this too, because this is an area that you are educating women in a lot too. Does that affect the breast milk? And you're talking about that it's more than just breast milk. I want to touch on that. I want to talk about that. And it's like, uh, it's, kind of like a stigma to talk about it too or whether you breastfeed or not and all this stuff so let's dive into that too <laughs> yeah i love that so yes there is uh breastfeeding is a very 
you know, hot button issue. It can be very triggering for a lot of people. And the reason is, you know, all of the science says that breast milk is the best nutrition for a human baby that that can't be disputed. That is fact. But the reason it's so triggering is because some women just can't produce enough breast milk or they tried really, really hard, even if it was just for a day to produce, you know, to, to breastfeed and, you know, they decided it wasn't right for them or, um, you know, or their, their body couldn't produce or whatever the reason, the reason was a lot of, a lot of times the reason is they don't have enough support and they don't have, you know, enough people kind of telling them, giving them different tools and techniques to try different things to help boost their supply or fix a latch issue. But a lot of it is lack of support in, in supporting the health of the mother. So making sure, again, going back to nutrient depletion, making sure she has all the nutrients, making sure that her body has enough building blocks to even make breast milk. Cause that the the whole eating for two thing doesn't end when you have the baby if you're breastfeeding you're still you still have to produce enough 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 food in your own body to feed and grow an infant and if you're nutrient depleted if you don't have good uh you know stable blood sugar if you don't if you're not eating enough calories you're not going to be able to produce enough to sustain another baby so that it's a huge Sorry, go ahead. No, is that what you find many times that once the, the after the pregnancy, the women stop eating for two? Is that what you find a lot? It's interesting. Yes, because it's really hard to find time to eat after <laughs> you have a baby. Everything. It's hard to find time to go to the bathroom. I was actually going to create a post about this because even now my daughter's too, even now I like hold off. I'm like, no, I can go to the bathroom after I do this. I just need to do this one thing first. And it's those little things. And women do that with eating. I know I did and admittedly probably still do uh, on occasion, but it's like, oh, I'll just get a snack after this. Oh, now the baby's crying. Well, now she needs a diaper change. Now I need to breastfeed. I'll just eat after this. And we just keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And that's one of the, in the, you know, kind of that fourth trimester, the zero to three months newborn stage is the best thing that a mother can do is to try to put herself first and not put off, you know, eating and going to the bathroom and all of those things that are, that are obvious needs that we can kind of laugh about and be like, well, yeah, obviously I need to eat. Obviously I need to go to the bathroom, but in the moment it's like, well, I just, I just need to do this first. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Even without a child, it can be challenging. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what is it? So when a woman breastfeeds for the woman who's contemplating, doesn't know if she wants to breastfeed or not, mm -hmm. is it that, um that that the that the child's brain has a healthier development better brain development um but better connection between the neurons what is it exactly that happens that is so amazing when a woman breastfeeds yeah so it it's definitely much more than just a nutrient exchange there's 
um, a lot of really amazing research that is coming out and showing all of the immunological benefits of breastfeeding. So the mother passes down um, you know, immune protection through her breast milk. She passes down antibodies through her breast milk so that you know her baby, who doesn't really have an immune system yet, um, has some of that protection. So that's one of the things that is hugely beneficial in breastfed babies. Um, there's another, there's other research about how it does help with neurological development and the exact, there are neurotransmitters that are, that are involved, but I think the exact, I mean, it's, it's new-ish research. So it's still, it's still being developed, but it, it does show that, um, you know, neurological development is stronger in babies who have been breastfed. And that, that research is there, even if the baby has only been breastfed for three months. That seems to be the um, kind of the magic number for receiving those neurological benefits. Um, it also is a bonding experience. And it's it when you respond to your baby's needs, and truthfully, this can happen with, with breast milk or, um, you know, bottle feeding when you respond, but it just, it helps the mother when you're breastfeeding to be able to respond to those cues um, and, and bond a little bit better for the mother. But when you respond to your baby, that, that kind of lays a foundation of trust for that baby. That tells the baby that you're going to be there for them no matter what, which really sets the tone for their whole life and how they, how they trust people and how they interact with the world around them. So that helps the child, but from a mother's perspective, you're releasing oxytocin, which is the hormone that makes us feel, it's the cuddle hormone, it's the hormone that makes us feel love and happy and, and bonded and connected, um, which is really beneficial for the mental health of the mother. So there's, um, I actually read a research article just this morning that was saying that breastfeeding mothers are less likely to develop postpartum depression and um, are more bonded to their babies. So they are, you know, more, more likely to just have a positive relationship with their, with their babies. And, um, it's really cool. The, the, the new breast milk research is really, really cool. Oh, also breast milk changes <laughs> with every, with every feed, there's a feedback mechanism. So obviously, you know, when the baby latches, and you get that suckling response, the breast milk, you have a letdown, but there's also a feedback mechanism where the mother's body can literally, it kind of monitors the, the saliva. Some of the baby's saliva gets sucked back in. So the mother's body monitors the saliva and kind of changes the composition of her breast milk according to her baby's needs. So when babies are sick, that's a different type of breast milk than it is when they're not sick. It's insane, it's amazing. Oh, wow. Uh, just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's I cool. It's cool. I knew it was good, but I didn't know about all that. So that's that's amazing. That's yeah, pretty, pretty awesome. So what are whew, what are some reasons that women are not able to? You, well, you did say that it has to do with the nutritional aspect and what mm -hmm. we. But for example, so has is it. Is it also that our psychological experience, what, what is going on with our mental, with our emotion, does that affect it too? Or is that just a different aspect? Oh yeah. oh yeah. If you are 
super stressed out, your body isn't going to be able to produce enough breast milk. Um, that is definitely something that a lot of women face. And that is, that is the situation where, you know, if you're, if you're super stressed out and you're not producing enough breast milk and that stresses you out more, that's a situation where, where we need to support these moms and say, Hey, it's okay. If you don't breastfeed, like this is, it is, it is okay. You don't need to feel bad if it is not going to benefit you then it's not going to benefit your baby. Life goes on. Many, many, many babies were fed with formula and go on to do many amazing things. Like it's not going to hurt anybody in the long run. And it's, and that's the, that's kind of the fine line when we talk about breastfeeding is that we do want to talk about it in a very positive light and talk about the amazing benefits because they are there. But we also need to be aware that some women it's not going to be good for them. And that needs to be okay too. And we can't, we can't make those women feel bad and we can't villainize them. And they also can't beat themselves up. So, I mean, yeah, there, there is a point where it's not going to be good for, for mom, which means it's not going to be good for baby. And like I said, we just need to band together and, and just, that's okay. You just, you need to make decisions that are best for your family. And if that means that you never, breastfeed a day in your life and that is best for you and your family that's okay too absolutely absolutely there are many ways to do <laughs> the the same things or similar things I love that I love that you're bringing that up absolutely it's all about educating about the benefits but then at the same time it's not the end of the world if you're not able to do it or if you don't choose to do it at the end of the day you do what you can and you do what um whatever you think is best. So I think that's so important too, to not overlook just that, that you're talking about when it comes to loving ourselves, that it's all the small decisions that we do make, but then being supportive of ourselves, right? We're going to have, hopefully we have a support system, but to speak light into ourselves, to speak life into ourselves, to uplift ourselves and not allow the standard or what's going on in the world today to, to make us feel horrible for doing what we chose to do. And that's something that I see a lot that women really get down on themselves when they make certain decisions and then it haunts them forever. And they feel like they're stuck in this emotional cycle of, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. Or I'm not a good mom or I'm not a good person. And it just carries with them. Right. It's just with them forever. Um, Absolutely. So how, okay, so I want to touch on this. I don't have many questions left, but you mentioned that during your pregnancy or after your pregnancy, it was a difficult time for you there for a period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, if a woman happens to fall into depression, whether it's during or after she gives birth, right? It's common for, for it to happen afterwards. There is a lot of guilt attached to that. So oh, yeah. how do we approach that? And how does a woman heal from that and move on from it? That is a, uh, again, kind of a, an individualized question. What works for some may not necessarily work for all, but postpartum depression can happen all at once and you know you're you're good one day and then the next day you're kind of dis 
disconnected. Um, but typically it is a little bit more gradual. Typically, you know, you start out just kind of, kind of sad, but you're still engaged with your baby. Um, and then, you know, it kind of, it kind of progresses and it kind of spirals. Um, so the biggest thing would be to kind of catch that early. And this, this starts with, with how we care for our mothers in the immediate postpartum period. I think that we could prevent a lot of postpartum depression if we supported mothers and started immediately supporting them, supporting their health nutritionally, um, emotionally, kind of coaching them and teaching them how to cope with certain things and how to, you know, what to expect in terms of not in terms of like changing diapers or, or even breastfeeding, but just in terms of all of the emotions and all of the feelings that are gonna come up after you have a baby, we are not preparing women for those emotions. And especially for, for me, I was, I think I was expecting to have some, uh, some emotions come up just because of the way my childhood was and the way uh, my relationship with with my own mother is I was expecting some of that to to come up but I wasn't expecting to feel the things that I feel and I wasn't expecting to oh, just beat myself up all, all of the time and I think that if we can get ahead of that and teach moms in pregnancy or immediately postpartum how to work through that that is one of the most important things for pre preventing postpartum depression. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love it for sure. So, okay. Here's a question I'm curious about. How do we deal with the hormones like ourselves, but then also how do we maintain a healthy environment with our immediate family, with our spouse, with our partner and with everything that is going on while our hormones are all over the place and we're feeling all kinds of emotions. What is, what is your take on that? Yeah. Um, I actually did a, an interview, a Facebook live interview recently about um, the female menstrual cycle and how there are different hormone fluctuations that are going on throughout the cycle and what they do to our brains and our bodies during that time. So in different parts of your cycle, you're gonna feel more, more energized, more confident. Um, and that is, that's when estrogen is high. That's when you're feeling, uh, you know, estrogen is the, the, our lady hormone. That's the one that's gonna make us, uh, make our skin glow and, and make us just feel more confident and, um, and you know just happy with ourselves and then there are other parts in your cycle where you have another hormone which is progesterone that's going to be high and progesterone is supposed to be um you know anti-anxiety um help with kind of more of those depression type symptoms um but it can also make you feel more um it can make you kind of feel like you want to be alone that you're not as you're not quite as social, you're just kind of more self-reflective. But we can, if we know what our hormones are doing, we can use them to work with our body. So feeling like, gosh, I just really don't wanna go to this party tonight, I'm really not feeling it. And then you're sitting there thinking, why am I not feeling it? But sometimes it's your hormones telling you, 
that you need to rest. So if you can use these, use your natural hormones to work with your body and understand that what you're feeling may not be, you know, your actual psychological state. It may not be your actual thoughts. It may be your hormones that are kind of influencing your thoughts. So kind of taking a step back and being like, okay, this is my body. This is what's happening to me right now. And disconnecting a little bit in the sense that that this is this is a normal thing this isn't this isn't who i am you know this is just what's happening in my body right now and just learning learning to listen to yourself and listen to your body and what what your hormones are telling you and and like i said just working working with that and not against that is really beneficial yes Oh my gosh, that was so good. That was so good. I do have a follow-up question on that because I think if I've experienced, somebody else has experienced it too. So when my husband and I, when we first met and started dating and everything, when I would, uh, you know, when I would, when it would be that time of the month and I would just, I mean, it would literally feel like I became a different person, but I, I would verbalize it, right? So I remember in the past, my husband and I would always fight around that time until we figured out how to make it work for us, right? Now it's completely yeah. different. But what I did, what was so frustrating to me was when he said, and this is one uh, in the beginning when he said, well, if you can, if, if you can, if you can verbalize it, then you can do something about it. And then it, it really took me a long time to really explain to him that although I can say it, right? Although I can say it, I'm consciously aware of what's going on. My, everything in me still wants to be rude to you or mean to you or say whatever, just with the smallest little trigger, right? So it took us a lot of trial and error until he started obviously identifying when my mood was shifting and what worked for me to bring me pizza, to bring me chocolate, to leave me alone, to set up like the whole environment. But I do believe it becomes a problem in a lot of relationships when the man or the woman, if it's two women, takes it person takes it personally, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. all because we're not <laughs> we're not really taught. We're not taught. And then some people are gonna think that you're using as using it using it as an excuse. But I think it's so powerful that you're talking about it because it was it was difficult in the beginning to really get us to be on the same level when it came to that because I was all over the place and it would start before the period and then I would have like a creative period where I would like write books and then two seconds later I wanted to fight and then it was it's, it's a journey for sure so that's why I think it's something that is really not talked about like that but it's I mean it happens every month right <laughs> for yeah, for the woman okay. still experiencing it and then also uh, what I have, I have been reading about, but I don't know, obviously you're the one who is an expert in the area that even when the bleeding stop, that these hormones continue afterwards. So I don't know a lot about mm -hmm. that, but anyway, so I kind of wanted to throw that out. If you, if you wanted to comment on it or say something that might help someone else who's listening and yeah. maybe going through that, what I experienced in the beginning. Yeah. Oh man, this is like a whole other podcast episode that we <laughs> have to come back. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, the menstrual cycle is is something that 
both women and men need to be educated on and we need to talk about it. You know, it's always been this, I mean, up until recently, it's always been this taboo topic and, you know, you gotta like hide your tampons. Like, it's just, it's so silly because 50% of our population are women and we are menstruating, like get over it. We bleed, it happens. And it's so important to talk about and communicate because like you said, you have different needs at different times of the month. And it's, it's unfair for, the reason men need to be educated is because I said before, they are, they are very static. They are very, you know, they, there aren't a lot of fluctuations that are going on with their hormones and their body because if there are, then they have, you know, that's, that's abnormal, right? That's an abnormal, hormonal fluctuation hormonal cycle so it's important for men to understand that women change <laughs> we are complicated women change it you know it happens throughout the month and it's great that you guys have learned to communicate that and not even just saying you know man i'm just in a bad mood today but figuring out ways that that will help both of you that will um, kind of keep not, you know, I don't, it's not about walking on eggshells with the other person, but it's about respecting where they are on that day. Like Hmm, let's say for example, yeah, yeah. My, if my husband comes home, he's had a bad day. I'm not going to take that personally. He's not mad at me. And that's the same thing that happens in our cycle. It just, you know, maybe happens more often with the women because we're so dynamic. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. But there, there are also, it's important to note also that there are abnormal um, hormonal imbalances and hormonal fluctuations. And if it's something that, you know, is interfering with your life and your relationship, it's, it, it's important to get those, get, get your hormones checked and make sure that the cycle is kind of functioning properly. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of variability for every single woman is different. So everyone's going to have a little bit different, um, cycles in terms of, uh, length and excuse me and things like that, but getting your, getting your hormones checked to make sure that you're at least following the, the appropriate curves and the appropriate patterns is, is super, super important. Hormonal health is health is is another it's another vital sign. It's like your heart rate. We need to be approaching the menstrual cycle like we do with blood pressure and heart rate and respiratory rate. It's a vital sign. Yes, I love that. I love it for sure. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. We're almost done here. I want to end with two questions. So the first question is, who inspires you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think if you would have asked me that question eight months ago, I may, I would have struggled a little bit to answer because I, I've done a lot of, um, a lot of self-work and self-exploration this year. So I was a little bit lost about eight months ago, but today my answer is totally different and I am inspired by any any woman who goes out there and is just just unapologetically herself and is so confident in who she is and doesn't apologize for who she is unnecessarily and is just 
you can just, you, you can tell, you can see these people from across the room, the, the women that are just 100% themselves. I am inspired by anybody who is able to do that. I love that. That's such yeah. a That's a beautiful answer. I love it. I can, I totally agree. Absolutely. So yeah. okay. final question before we wrap it up, where is and what is going on in Dr. Reckon's life five years from today? Oh, exciting. <laughs> well, I am, you are, this is the first, uh, first time I've really said this publicly, I think, but I am working on a series of, um, basically motherhood classes. So we have, we have classes to help us through birth and pregnancy and all of those things. We have classes for breastfeeding, but we don't have classes to help mothers, you know, take care of themselves in the postpartum period, nutritionally, um, emotionally, all of those things, all of the things, you know, what to be prepared for, how to, how to work through those big emotions, how to, you know, kind of find ourselves when it feels like we're giving a hundred percent of ourselves over a hundred percent of ourselves to our babies, just kind of how to work through that. So I'm developing a series of classes to, um, you know, create a community and, and, you know, reach mothers. So I would, my practice I know is going to grow and I'm going to, you know, develop my, um, develop my processes and things to, to help moms and just create a huge community there. But I'm also going to grow these Mothers Matter classes. And my vision for this is, is really big. I truthfully, because I just came up with this idea a couple weeks ago, I don't know how big it's going to be in terms of like, is it just going to be Dallas or do I see it going national? I'm not sure yet, but I know it's going to be big and I'm super excited. Oof. Love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And whenever it's, <laughs> whenever it comes into fruition, you have to come back and announce it and talk about it. I absolutely love it. Is yes. this something that you can be doing in, um, like you said, in Dallas, or is it also going to be virtual in your mind for now? I think, I think eventually it will be virtual. I think my, uh, my inaugural class will probably um, be at my office, kind of start, start small. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, there's such a need here that I think that, you know, allowing it to be virtual and expanding that out would be um, something that's going to be necessary at some point. But I'm just going to kind of start small and, you know, float the idea out and develop the, develop the different modules and kind of see how it goes. But I will definitely check back in with you and let you know. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. <laughs> well, I love the fact that, I mean, you are a living example of someone starting off having a particular vision, having a lot of passion for, um, for a profession and really expanding it into something so much greater, not taking anything away from that, but to take something and make something so large of it and just continue to work on your vision and see it, seeing it come into, I mean, putting it into action and actually doing it. And I mean, it's, it's so amazing. So I, 
I so appreciate you coming on and sharing all this knowledge that is not <laughs> available everywhere. So really appreciate you sharing this with the listeners. So yeah. if the is wanting to connect with you, if someone is in Texas, right, that's where you're located in Dallas, is wanting a, an adjustment, needs to check their blood work or whatever it may be, or if someone is not here, and just wants to ask you some questions, what is the way, best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, so my my practice is called Retrouve Wellness, and um, that's R-E-T-R-O-U-V-A-I, Wellness. And um, it's actually, so Retrouve is a French word. Um, the spelling is different, but it's a French word that means to bring back or rediscover so that is kind of the uh the cornerstone of of what i believe in in my practice is bringing back health and wellness and and showing people you know helping them rediscover how great life can be when they have their health and vitality so um they can you can reach me on my website at retrouvewellness.com um, I have instagram retrouve at retrouve wellness i have facebook um you can send me a message on any of those, any of those places and uh, reach me there. So, yeah. Perfect. Awesome. I'll make sure that I, uh, I add all the links too. So it'll be able, it'll be easy to. <laughs> Perfect. To too. But awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. I truly appreciate it. I know it brought so much value to the people listening. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. Absolutely. You take care. You too.